Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Then Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events in World History, The Book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. I'm often asked how I decide what to preach. How do I determine the series of sermons that I'm going to prepare or the individual sermons that I'm going to deliver? Occasionally, the answer to that question is external. It's based on the circumstances people face or the needs they have. For example, if our nation encounters a major crisis or if I notice a particular need bubbling up in the church, then maybe I'll feel that I should address it. But these are the exceptions, and they should be the exceptions In my view, if a pastor's sermons are always a response to crises and needs, it limits the preaching of the whole counsel of God. We become reactive. We allow the shifting observations of our day to determine our sermons rather than having passage-driven studies of Scripture. We become homiletical reactionaries, and our use of God's Word is triggered by the ping-pong effect of headlines and heartaches. Over the years, perhaps 90% of my sermons and sermon series have arisen directly or indirectly from my own devotional life. Every morning I get up and go to the scripture. Right now I'm reading through the book of the prophet Zechariah. I'm reading this prophet over and over, and it's my favorite, richest part of the day this time that I spend with the Lord. When it comes to Zechariah, for example, I'm astonished at the apocalyptic vividness of this book and its incredible ability to encourage me. In my morning quiet time, I'm not looking for sermons or trying to imagine a sermon series. I'm just soaking up the inspired truth in this book and trying to wring out of every word the author's intent. I'm nourishing my own soul. But don't be surprised if in six months I lead a seminar or write a book or preach a series based on the 14 chapters of the prophet Zechariah. This corresponds to my belief that preaching is overflow. If the Lord speaks to me from a passage or a book, it's not for my benefit only. It's so that I can share it with others. Think of a reservoir. The Lord pours His Word into us and stores it up, and then the same life-giving stream naturally flows from us to others. I believe the same is true for the greatest of all of the hymns, or at least one of these great hymns that we've been talking about, How Firm a Foundation. It was written by Robert Keene, K-E-E-N-E, many years ago, and I think he must have been reading and studying the book of Isaiah before he wrote it because most of his stanzas are taken from verses from that incredible prophetic book. The prophet Isaiah resounds in almost every stanza of this classic song, and that's why this hymn is so rich and enduring. 
I believe it was simply the overflow of Robert Keene's own personal Bible study through the book of Isaiah. Well, in today's episode, we're coming to the sixth stanza of How Firm a Foundation, and I want to show you how it is based on one of the sweetest promises in Isaiah that you'll ever find. The stanza in the hymn says, Even down to old age all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love, and when silver hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. Well, this stanza is based on Isaiah 46, and I'd like to ask you to turn there with me in your Bible so we can study it together. If you're at a table or a desk or sitting in a chair or porch swing, then maybe you can turn there and let's begin with Isaiah chapter 46, verse 1. And the first thing that we notice here is that God is sovereign. Your God is sovereign. Verse 1 says, Baal bows down, Nebo stoops low, their idols are borne by beasts of burden. Now, Baal and Nebo were Babylonian gods. And it's very important here to understand the setting against which Isaiah was writing. He was addressing this to Jewish exiles who were coming to the very end of their 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Now, the Jewish people had a long-standing addiction to idols and to idolatry. They had been exposed to idols while in Egypt. They had been enslaved in Egypt, and Egypt had many gods. And in fact, the plagues of Moses in the book of Exodus were directed against the gods of Egypt. Well, you may remember that when Moses led the nation out of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai, while he was up on the mountain receiving the law of God, the Israelites down at the base of the mountain were crafting a golden calf. From the beginning, the Hebrew nation fell repeatedly into idolatry. In the days recorded in the books of Kings and Chronicles, the succession of evil kings in Judah and Israel, they erected idols across the land. King Manasseh even put an idol in the holy place of the temple. The northern kingdom of Israel was idolatrous from the start and to the extreme, but the Babylonian captivity cured Israel of idolatry once and for all. I remember hearing my uncle Walter who was a great student of the Bible, talk about this. He said the Babylonian captivity cured the Jewish people of idolatry. He said since the days of their exile in Babylon, although Israel has not served the Lord as they should, yet they have never again resorted to establishing false gods and heathen idols in their land. The 70 years of captivity broke Israel's addiction to idols. Well, what is this? chapter 46 about. It begins, Bel and Nebo, those Babylonian gods, are worthless compared to the sovereign God of eternity. He says, notice the foolishness, or he says, I should say, in effect, notice the foolishness of adopting an idol and serving a false god. The mighty Babylonian kingdom had these two powerful gods, Baal and Nebo, but they are nothing but burdens. They are heavy and have to be hoisted up and borne on horses and mules and camels. They have to be carried like a sack of sand. They are as wearisome to cart around as they are worshipped to help you. So look at verse 1 again and let's go on. 
Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low, their idols are borne by beasts of burden, the images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary, they stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden, and they themselves are going off into captivity. In other words, the Persian Empire was going to sweep away the Babylonian Empire, and the Babylonian gods were impotent and unable to do anything about it. Indeed, they are merely burdens to be borne. But if you'll remember the context, the great message of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 66 is that God alone is sovereign. He is before all gods, and he is the only God. How foolish to worship a carving of wood when you have the almighty God of creation to praise and think and to extol and to trust and to worship. That's what Isaiah 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, and so forth. That's the great message of this. Now, most of us don't build idols and bow down before them in a literal sense. I've seen that done in other countries, but Remember that an idol is anything that comes first in your heart, anything that comes before God in your life. It's anything you love more than you love Jesus. That person or object or habit or whatever it is will become a burden around your neck. You'll have to haul that idol around wherever you go, and it will wear you out. But on the other hand, as Isaiah tells us in these chapters, the sovereign God of Scripture holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand. He measures the universe with a span. He regards the nations as a drop in the bucket. He oversees the tides of history and determines the outcome of events. He devises streams in the desert and springs in the valley. He stirs up leader and takes down rulers. He brings forth justice and he triumphs over his enemies. Our sovereign, almighty God stretched out the heavens like a tiara of diamonds. He marshaled the starry hosts, created the world full of springs and streams, gave breath to all living forms. And, Isaiah says, he is even honored by the jackals and the owls of the desert for whom he provides, and he will not yield his glory to another. Your God is a sovereign God. He leads the blind by ways they have not known, as Isaiah tells us in these chapters, and he guides his children along unfamiliar paths. He turns darkness into light and rough places into smooth ground. According to Isaiah, in these chapters, our God knows the end from the beginning, and he will not be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. He overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense. He carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. He levels the mountains, fills the valleys, subdues the kingdoms, and blesses his people. He is with us through the fire and through the flood, and from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, all the earth will acknowledge there is no other God except him, and he will not give his glory to another. He is sovereign and over all. These majestic descriptions of Isaiah and many more are contained in these chapters leading up to Isaiah 46 in contrast to the idolatry that Israel saw all around them in Babylon. This is the God who cares for you too. He is sovereign and he is over all. 
But our God is not only sovereign, he is eternal. Let's continue reading here in Isaiah 46. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down altogether, unable to rescue their burden. They themselves go off into captivity. But listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. What a wonderful word in the scripture. The Lord is telling us in effect, I was present when you were conceived in your mother's womb. I was there when you were born. I watched you grow up and I will be with you when your hair turns gray and your steps grow slow. I'll be there when you ascend into heaven. I will be with you forever. We dwell within time, but since God dwells in eternity, he views our lives in a flash of a moment, and he is there from our first cry to our last breath. This verse is one of a golden set of verses in the Bible that I like to call the old age verses. There are several passages of scripture devoted to reassuring us that God still intends to care for us and to use us as we grow older. I have a personal disagreement with the modern concept of retirement. Our jobs and our vocations may indeed shift, but as long as we're on earth, God has work for us to do each and every day. We never retire from his service. In fact, our most fruitful years of service may be our latter years. I heard a man say the other day, he really said this, when you get up to my age, you look back a lot more than you look forward. Well, that is deadly thinking. The Apostle Paul said, and he was well up in his mature years, forgetting what is behind, I am straining toward what is ahead. Dr. David Jeremiah recently told me of how thankful he feels for his philosophy of pressing toward what is ahead. He has an upcoming book about this that I hope you'll read. I've never known anyone like Dr. Jeremiah. His chronological age is one thing, but his enthusiasm is another, and the latter outstrips the former. He said that he's about a decade and a half past the normal retirement age. But these have been the most productive years in his ministry. He has sustained a growing California church, preaching three times every weekend, which sermons are watched and heard around the world. He has published a major study Bible along with several best-selling books, He's led tours of Israel and cruises for people studying the Bible in Alaska and Caribbean. He has produced Christmas specials in New York City and preached in the largest church in the world in India. Last week, he told me that he had preached 16 times in one week, and still there is no stopping him in his quest to reach souls for the kingdom. And he said to me, what if I had stopped at the normal retirement age? Now, here in Isaiah 46, the Lord gives us this great promise about aging. Even to your gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. What does the word sustain mean? Isaiah wrote this in the Hebrew language, and the word that he used here has the key idea 
of bearing up or transporting or supporting. It's the idea really of carrying something. And that idea is carried right through this verse, which says, Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. He upholds us. The idea is that God bears us up like a boat upon the seas, like a camel in the desert, like a geyser from beneath, like a rope from above, like a thermal column of air supporting and lifting an eagle into the lofty skies. He carries us like a man carrying his child or a shepherd carrying his weary lamb. I'm not quite at what I consider old age. I'm 68, and I'm not getting any younger. But I have some convictions about the process of aging. Let me make some suggestions that I believe correspond to this promise in Isaiah 46. First, never stop working and never retire from what God has called you to do. Your purpose in life does not stop at age 65. By God's grace, your most productive years are likely still ahead. Second, never stop walking with God through daily study of the Scripture and prayer. This is the primary way in which He sustains us. Third, never boast about tomorrow. We not, may not be alive tomorrow because life is so unpredictable, whatever our age, but we should take advantage of every day that we have and do the work that God assigns for that day. I'm trying to do the work that he assigns for me, depending on his strength. And finally, never lose the cheer and the joy of the Lord. For several years, I preached regularly at a retirement community in Florida. And one of the residents there is retired from being a medical doctor in Cross, North Carolina, which is near where I was raised. I always have enjoyed talking with him because we share a love for those Western North Carolina and East Tennessee mountains. His name is Dr. Chapman. One day I preached on this verse in Nehemiah 8.10. It's the verse uh, that says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was my sermon for that day. And a couple of years later I returned, and when I saw Dr. Chapman, he was carrying a little canvas bag with the words of Nehemiah 8.10 inscribed on it. I told him how much I loved his tote sack, and he said, when you were here last time, you spoke on that verse, and it registered with me like never before and took on real life for me. He said, I studied it and memorized it. And shortly afterward, he said, my wife drove to the doctor's office for a checkup, and while there, she suffered a massive stroke. I rushed to see her, but she had another massive stroke, and she passed away. He said that Nehemiah 8.10 had never left him during any of that crisis or period of grief, and in fact, it assumed a greater weight than ever. He told me that Nehemiah 8.10 had borne him up and kept him going. That Bible verse had sustained him. Well, we have a God who sustains us because he is an eternal God. He can sustain us through all of the ages. But finally, our God is not only sovereign and eternal, he is unchangeable. Notice the repetition of this in verse 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. Notice that emphasis, I am he, I am he. 
He is saying that he is self-existent, that he is the great I am. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. In theology, we call this immutability. And it's vital to our faith that is a core doctrine when it comes to the attributes or characteristics of God. Have you ever noticed that the lower down you look, the quicker things change? And the higher up you look, the less things vary? When you look down at the ground, you might see a bug. The majority of bugs only live a month or two. They have a very short lifespan. A mosquito lives for a month, which is a month too long. A housefly lives for about 20 days. But if you look up a little bit, you'll see a blade of grass, which will survive, well, really only until the lawnmower passes over it. A flower might endure for a season. Look higher, and you'll see a human being who can live for decades. Look higher, and you'll see the mighty trees God has made. An oak tree can live for 150 years, and some trees, as we know, can live for a thousand years. Look higher, and you'll see the majestic mountains which have endured for millennia. And higher still are the ageless stars of the cosmos here since the beginning of the creation. But enthroned up there above it all is the immutable, unchanging, unchangeable, unalterable God. His holiness never changes. His wrath never varies. His power never wavers. His knowledge never dims. His love never fluctuates. His presence never fades. His righteousness never evolves. His mercy never fails. His truth will endure forever. And His promises are firm to the end. Because he is unchanging and unchangeable, every word he says is consistent, unfailing, and it is utterly dependable. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Psalm 102 says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's another great hymn that says, Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fell not, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Your God is sovereign, eternal, and unchangeable. He has upheld you since birth and carried you since you were a little child. And even down to your old age and gray hairs, he who has made you will carry you and sustain you and rescue you. Isaiah 46.4 is a great Bible verse to claim for yourself. And doing so is as easy as singing this stanza. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when silver hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope it was an encouragement to you and that you'll share it with others. This is my way of preaching the Word of God week by week. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media 
and edited by Elijah Rowe. Music by my friend Jeff Bennett. Check out his work at jeffbennettmusic.com. This is Robert J. Morgan, and you can find more resources about the ministries and resources that we have at my website, robertjmorgan.com. Thank you so much for listening, and may God be with you till we meet again.